Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. When you look through the Bible, you find that when Jesus starts talking about life in the kingdom of God, it seems really upside down. He says stuff like, the, the least shall be the greatest. And the way to greatness is through humility, through lowliness. He talks about how the first will be last and the last will be first. He, he talks about if you want to keep your life, you have to lose your life. If you want to experience life, you have to die to yourself. So the, the rules of the kingdom... They are all a matter of, it seems like everything's upside down. The problem is not that the rules of the kingdom point toward an upside down kingdom. It's the problem is that we're the ones who are upside down. Life in the kingdom is actually right side up. We are the messed up ones. We have the the messed up viewpoint. We have the messed up thinking. We have the messed up world. God's kingdom is perfect and it's right and it's holy we are the ones who are encountering the problem because of where we are. We're the upside down ones, not, not the kingdom. And you find this illustrated in the book of Mark in yet another instance. In the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 13, we find that Mark records, they were bringing children to him, that's Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Even the disciples of Jesus ministering alongside Jesus, being right there with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Whenever people began to bring children to Jesus, and they were, they were wanting Jesus to bless these children and hold these children, even the disciples said, you know, he doesn't have time for that. They're just kids. Don't bother the master with children. He, he's, he's got busy stuff. He's got all sorts of other stuff that he's busy with. He has important things to do with the big folks, with the adults. Why pester him with children? But notice what Jesus says. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and says that if you don't receive the kingdom of God, just like a child with that faith, with that dependence, with that, with that understanding that I can't do anything, I'm powerless in and of myself, I'm so dependent, if you don't approach God in that way, you can't approach God. You, you don't know what it's like to live in the kingdom. You won't enter into the kingdom if you enter into it by some other means or attempt to enter into it by some other means. Oh, well, I, I'm going to get enough intellect and intelligence and wisdom. And then if I accumulate enough earthly wisdom, then I'm going to be able to figure it out. And then, then, I, then that will be what that leads me. Or, or if I have enough enough talent or, or, or skill, then maybe God would look at me and say, oh, I really want you for my kingdom. Boy, you would be a real asset. I could, go, I could do a lot of things if you were with me. No. No, you enter like a child, dependent. You enter like a child in faith. 
You enter like a child recognizing, I can't do anything myself. And notice what Jesus says, let these children come to me. You might have heard of the 1040 window before. The 1040 window, if you were to take a rectangle and you were to draw a rectangle around northern Africa and extend it into Southeast Asia from 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north of the equator, you would find that is what missionaries refer to and mission organizations refer to as the 1040 window. The 1040 window in that rectangle, you find that two-thirds, about two-thirds of the world population is found within that rectangle. And within that 1040 window, you find that 90% of the people living there are living in extreme poverty. But what you might not know about, even if you've heard about the 1040 window, you might have never heard about the 414 window. The 414 window is this. Between the ages of 4 and 14, internationally speaking, according to some of the latest, uh, the latest statistics, between the ages of 4 and 14, that is when 63% of the people around the world who receive Christ do receive Christ. Between the ages of 4 and 14. In America, the 414 window, 85% of the people who make professions of faith do so between the ages of 4 and 14. If you add on the next four years from 14 to 18, you get a larger percentage of, of all the people who come to know Christ. Can we just do a really quick, not trying to embarrass anybody, can we do a really quick hands up, hands down type of poll? How many of you who are followers of Christ came to know Christ before the age of 18? Would you just lift your hand up? Look around the room. Before the age of 18, this is why our children's ministry and this is why our student ministry are so important. This is why. And this is why what we're talking about today is so important. It's why we invest in children. Because after the age of 18, the number of people who make decisions to follow Christ drops precipitously. Does that mean that after 18, people don't come to Christ? No, they do. But that percentage gets smaller and smaller and smaller. When I was a children's pastor for a number of years, I'd sometimes had parents come to me and say, well, they, they're talking about Jesus, they want to make a decision, but I'm going to wait until they're older so they'll know more. Do they know they are a sinner in need of a Savior? Do they know they are, they are held responsible? Do they know that there is a holy God, but there is a God who sent his son to die in their place? And if they surrender their life, they can have eternal life and know him and be transformed in the image of Jesus while they are here on earth to bring others to that knowledge. Well, yes. Then they know everything they need to know. People don't get older and smarter when it comes to Jesus. They get older and harder when it comes to Jesus. And so it's important that we invest in children. Now, you've heard that it was Compassion Sunday today. And you may say, now, where, where does East Haven fit into all this and how did we get involved with compassion and what does compassion have to do with what we're talking about today what does compassion have to do with with mark chapter 10 and what does east haven have to do with compassion and how did that come about well i just want to tell you that story because i think it's important for you to understand my heart and the heart of our leadership here when it comes to this 
Let me go ahead and let me, let me back up for a second and let's get to something. Let, let's start with a biblical principle. It seems like, and, and, and I, I know it's, I'm guilty of it in my own life. It seems like the more people I talk to, we find that many times within Christianity, we like to keep biblical truths at arm's distance. We want it close enough that we can latch onto it when we need it, but we want it far enough out there that it doesn't really disturb our day-to-day life. You know, whenever I need it, it's there, it's within arm's distance, but otherwise I just need God to just sort of stay out of the way. And that's a dangerous thing to do because of our first, the first principle I want to talk about today out of these two principles. The first principle is this, we always do what we believe. We always do what we believe. What you truly believe, you, you operate by that belief. You do what you believe. If you believe it, if you believe it to be true, you operate in that way. If you believe something is dangerous, well, you stay away from it. If you believe something is good, then you want that, if you believe. But whenever we look at what we do, that is evidence of what we really believe. That is fruit based upon whatever that root is, and if our root is in true belief, then we're going to see that fruit borne out. You do what you believe. We do what we believe regardless of what we say we believe. Well, I really believe this, but my life shows something else. Well, the evidence is I really don't believe it, because if I'm believing, I'm doing it. Now, am I saying that you never sin? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying if I can continue to do the wrong thing again and again and again and again and again with no pain of conscience, with, with no conviction, and just say, no, this is, what, this is what I'm going to do, and it is contrary to biblical truth, then I really don't believe that biblical truth because I'm, I'm, sure, I'm giving evidence that I don't. Let me give you some verses. These are verses that I knew for years and years and years, but I never really put it together. Proverbs 31.2. You, you know this, those of you single guys, you're probably reading Proverbs 31, looking for that kind of woman, right? You're looking for that virtuous woman. Uh, Proverbs 31, verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. That's one of the characteristics of a virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31. And then you have a characteristic of a righteous man in Psalm 112, verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. So you've got one of the characteristics of a, of a virtuous woman, a righteous woman. One of the characteristics of the virtuous man is that they are helping those who are in need. Now I know sometimes we, we hear things like that. And one of the reasons we want to keep it at arm's distance is because sometimes you have people who abuse these ideas. They take a biblical idea and they abuse it and they make it into, they, they form a social gospel instead of the gospel. And there's a, very, there's a very real danger in that. But just because somebody takes something from the Bible and twists it and abuses it does not negate the validity, the reality of the truth of God's word. Sometimes we want to dismiss certain elements of God's word simply because we can point and say, well, those people believe this means that, and that's, and I don't agree with that, and I don't like the way that's going, so, so I'm, just, I'm just going to throw that verse out. We can't do that. Listen to Proverbs 19.7, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. 
Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, that's not the pastor saying this. This is God saying this. Whenever you help someone in need, you're lending to God. And God is not going to look at that and say, well, okay, great. No, it says that he will repay him for his deed. Let me give you a startling one. It's in Proverbs 21, verse 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Do do you see this? Not taking care of people who are in need can hinder your prayers. God may not be listening to prayers because of that. Now, I know we say, wait a minute, that, that can't be what all these verses say. That is what these verses say. So you read this, and then we have to ask ourselves, well, do we do what we believe? Now, do we believe this to be true? Now, if we believe this to be true, then we should be doing that. Let me give you a little testimony here. Probably like many of you, for years and years and years, and and this is is hard for me to say this, but I'm going to be very transparent about this, okay? For years and years and years, I went to concerts. And I went to conferences where there would be a compassion emphasis. There's that break time and, and someone, you know, the, the, the artist or the speaker will say, you know, we have compassion tables, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you can sponsor a child today. My first thought was this, always. This was my first thought. Okay, yeah, sponsor a child, feed a hungry child. I'm being very honest here. Sponsor a child, feed a hungry child. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of people do this. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time I was sitting in a, an arena. This was years ago. I'm sitting in an arena at a conference, and they're doing the compassion, uh, the, com- the compassion presentation as part of the conference. And I'm going to be really, really brutally honest here, okay? It went through my mind, this would be a good time to get up and go to the concourse and get some nachos. Serious. And then I thought, if I get up, I'm going to seem insensitive. So I'd rather sit here and really be insensitive and nobody know about it than to get up and go get nachos and everybody know exactly how insensitive I truly am. Okay. Now, some of you are laughing nervously because that's what you thought this morning. Probably when you walked in and saw the compassion stuff, you thought, if I'd known it was going to be compassion Sunday, I might have shown up. Well, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you didn't know. And there aren't any nachos. So stay put. So that was my thought process. My thought process was always, okay, yeah, yeah, sponsor a hungry child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, one of the local pastors here, who he's, he's gone to pastor another church now, but a local pastor contacted me and he said, would you be willing to sit down at lunch with me and a representative from Compassion, his name is John, would you be willing to sit down with us and talk about hosting the Compassion Experience at your church? The Compassion Experience, for those of you who are here and you walk through it, it's a, it's a trailer, like a tractor trailer trailer that has sides that extend. 
And we set up out in the back parking lot and, and, and we promoted it. And it was a time for people in this community and all sorts of communities around us. We had people driving for a couple of hours to just come here to walk through the compassion experience. And you would walk through and you would walk through a step-by-step process of aspects of a particular child's life who had been sponsored by compassion. And you could get to see the living conditions. Just walk through those areas and listen on a headset to that person tell his or her story. And so we, we met for lunch. And you know what I was thinking beforehand? Going to talk to these guys about sponsoring hungry children. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it before. So we sit down and John starts talking. And John's explaining everything and I'm poking at my food and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know it sounds terrible, but I'm just being very transparent here. I know, I know, I know. And I'm being polite. And then John says this. And he says it as an offhanded comment. He just says it and just keeps going. And he said, you know, every four minutes, a child comes to Christ through compassion. And he just kept talking. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out, time out, time out. What did you just say? He said, every four minutes, a child comes to Christ through compassion. And then he keeps talking. I said, whoa, 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 no, 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 wait, wait, wait. You have the documentation for this? He said, yeah. I said, so there's accountability and everybody, you know, this is, this is, he said, yeah. And I said, okay, we're in. And he said, well, don't you want to hear what? I said, no, well, you can go ahead and talk, but we're in. What do we need to do? He said, wait a minute, well, I had some other stuff to explain. I said, we're in. Do you understand? You just told me this is an organization where when you sponsor a child, they work through a local church, and it's through the local church that the local church actually ministers to this child, ministers their needs, shares Christ with them, and then when they receive Christ, they disciple them. And you're telling me this happens once every four minutes, a child comes to Christ? I don't know of another organization that can say that. So we're in. And he said, okay, well, let me finish explaining. And so he finished explaining, and I said, we're in. Bring your tractor trailer. We will do this. And so that's what we did. And so the last time that, that we had Compassion Sunday, and I know because of COVID, everything's just been kind of weird, um, we, uh, my wife and I, we, we sponsored a little girl. This is the, this is the, the little slip, there's her picture. This is, this is from the packet that we had. This stays on our refrigerator. And, and we pray for her. Adaliella. And so every time we see it, and I write letters to her, and Rebecca writes letters to her via the internet. It's the wonder of the internet. You don't have to sit down and write a letter out. You can type it out. And include some photos of, you know, like we include photos of us. We include photos of the dog and everything. And, and told her about our life. And, and then you just, you just hit the button and it sends it off to them. And they take it and they translate it so she can read it. And they, they print it out and they give it to her. And then we get her letters. And so we're sponsoring this child. And we're going to sponsor, uh, we're just going to sponsor her until she ages out of the program. And that's just that easy. 38 bucks, that's what we do. 38 bucks a month. I mean, my goodness, I spend 38 bucks on coffee every month. You know, you mean to tell me 38 bucks a month and that child is going to be, she's already a follower of Christ. She wants to be a teacher when she grows up. I share with her about when I was a teacher 
And I, I taught kids and I'm thinking, I get to pour into this little kid and this kid may grow up and she may become a teacher and that kid's going to be able to pour into other children and she's going to be able to pour into those children based upon the fact that this is what's going on in her life right now and my wife and I are getting to sponsor her and then she's going to get to grow up and she's going to get to possibly lead children, other children to Christ? Uh, yeah. Because we always do what we believe. And so we talk about compassion. Talk about Compassion International. Uh, they, they talk about releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And we talk about poverty and you talk to someone, anybody from Compassion and they will tell you that poverty is not just physical poverty. We're talking about spiritual poverty. People who need the gospel. Spiritual poverty, that's the first need that they want to meet. That's the most important one. That's the priority. They're going to meet all the others, but that's the important one. So we always do what we believe. And if I read these verses and I have this understanding, then I got to say, if I believe this to be true, then I need to do something. But then when we do, here's the second principle. We do everything for Jesus by Jesus. We do everything for him as Christians, and we do it by his power, in his name. That's the idea of doing things in the name of Jesus. We're saying in the name of Jesus is not just a tag on phrase that we put on. Well, I'm going to do this in Jesus name. Well, we need to understand when we pray or we do things, we live in the name of Jesus. What we are saying is I'm doing this for his glory. I'm doing this for his purposes. I'm doing this in his time. I'm doing this by his power. That's what we're saying when we're doing it in the name of Jesus. We're doing it fully understanding it's dependent upon his power and also we're demonstrating his character. That's the idea of doing something in the name of Jesus. So we do everything for Jesus by Jesus. That's what Paul writes in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When I was out in Wyoming, uh, I went out, some of you know, we've talked about this, I went out to Wyoming, and I went out there with a, a group of pastors, and there were some compassion representatives there. And I'm not trying to make this about any particular person. All right, compassion is full of incredible, wonderful, incre just incredibly loving people. But there was, there was a person I met out there on that trip. His name is Wes Stafford. I think we have a photo. Wes Stafford is the president emeritus of Compassion International. And uh, I don't, it was a God thing. Wes and I just, it was like we just became fast friends. And we were sitting around a fire pit one night, and Wes began to share. And Wes began to share about Compassion's slogan, their, their, their tagline there, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And he was telling us about that. He said that many years ago, there, there was a, uh, a time where they were going to look at all their marketing material, all of the commercials, all of the publications, all, everything on the website. They were going to look at everything, and they were going to take all that, let a marketing team come in, look at the materials, and then determine what's the best course from here. Can we improve? What do we need to do? 
So an outside marketing firm came in, looked at all of Compassion's publications, looked at everything they put out publicity-wise. They sat down with them and they said, well, first of all, you have the greatest name in the business, Compassion International. What an incredible name for reaching children. What, what an incredible, what, I mean, you've got that. They said, and you're putting out first-rate material, but there's one thing. There's one thing that's a problem. It's when we look at your publications and we read the material, you just keep mentioning Jesus. So we really think that in doing that, you're really limiting yourself to half of the possible audience that you might reach otherwise. So if you just drop this whole Jesus thing, just eliminated that from bringing him up in different places, you would get more people who would give you an audience and listen to what you have to say if you would just drop the whole Jesus thing. Wes said, I responded with, well, thank you very much. I'll go talk to my team. So he sat down with his own marketing team, his own communication team, and said, listen, this is what they said. And he said, there was just this outcry from the marketing team of compassion. No, 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 they said. We can't do that. We can't drop Jesus. We can't leave him out because he's the reason we do this. And so they sat, they talked, they prayed, they discussed, and then they decided, okay, we'll make a change. We will make a change. So that's when they changed the tagline, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Just go ahead and put it out front. There it is on everything that is the logo compassion, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. So now, not just Jesus is mentioned in the public, no, he's on the material, on the logo. As Wes said, in your face. We'll give you more Jesus, not less. He said that was when the exponential growth of compassion began. In Jesus' name. We do everything in Jesus' name. We need to understand that. And I'll be honest with you. From somebody who sat in a stadium, sat in an arena, and thought this would be a really good time to go get nachos, now I'm sitting here with a president emeritus around a fire pit and listening to this story and going, yeah, yeah, yes, Wes. Compassion, on Compassion's 50th anniversary, I only bring this up because it's pertinent to what we're talking about. On their 50th anniversary, they, they, they had two small children that Wes and the team brought in, two small Compassion children, and they looked at these two young children, they, they gave them these sashes that said ambassadors to the future. Wes gave each of them a letter and told them, You are ambassadors to the future for compassion. You have a job. 50 years from now, you are to go to the 100th anniversary of compassion, and you are to give the then president of compassion these letters from me, and you are to ask one question. That 50 years from now, you are to ask one question. He said, so it's important that you stay alive. You were to sit down with that 
president and look at him or her. Whoever's leading compassion 50 years from that point and ask them one question. Are you still doing this in Jesus' name? And he said, you will know in an instant the answer. Either they will say, yes, that has not changed. Or they will look down and stammer and say, well, you know, things happen, some changes. And, and he said, and you were to give them these letters, and these letters are commending them if they're still doing it in Jesus' name and begging them and pleading with them to return to doing it in Jesus' name if they are not. That is an understanding of what it means to do something in the name of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of great organizations out there that do this kind of work. But I can tell you this distinction, one child every four minutes and they are doing it unabashedly, unashamedly in the name of Jesus. If, if you are not a follower of Christ, it is, it is frowned upon that you sponsor a child if you are not a follower of Christ. They want people who are followers of Christ to sponsor those children. So those children, if they don't know Jesus, they can be led to Christ and they can be encouraged in that way. And if they already know Christ, they can be encouraged in their growth more so to become more and more like Christ. Listen to 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And then back to Colossians, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is why we find Jesus saying this in Matthew 25. This is verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you? Or, or naked and clothe you? And, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We do it, do everything for Jesus, by Jesus. And when we do it to the least, we are doing it to Christ, for Christ, by his power. Now it's around this time that somebody might say, yeah, but what does that really look like? How does that play out in a life? I mean, how do we know that those people are real people anyway? I mean, how can we trust that? And, and, and are people really changed by that? 
Well, the answer to that is yes, all the way around. And to illustrate that, I want to introduce you to another one of my friends, Kiwi. So Kiwi, if you will join us. Everybody make Kiwi. Make her welcome. Thank you, Pastor Dustin. Good morning, East Haven Baptist Church. How are you today? Very good. Um, I'm so honored to be standing in front of you and testifying of how good and great our God is. You know, my real name is not Kiwi, though it sounds cute like the fruit. My real name is Kiwani. It sounds Hawaiian, but I wish I was born and raised in Hawaii. But I know that God has a plan and purpose why I was born in the Philippines to a very poor family. My dad is an alcoholic, and each night my parents would fight because he's always drunk. There are three brothers ahead of me who died because of lack of medical attention. My third brother, he was supposed to be born cesarean section, but my parents could not afford the medical care. So what they did, they cut my mom open without proper anesthesia. My mom screamed for pain, but my brother didn't survive. But after that, I was born in another sister. And I remember growing up in the Philippines, it was so difficult that there were nights that I would beg my parents, Ma, Pa, I could not sleep because I was so hungry. But even my parents would give up the food that they're about to eat, which is most of the time rice and soy sauce or rice and salt, it would still be not sufficient. I remember I would look at my neighbor's window and pretend to watch their television from outside of their house. But I would look at their table and see food and wonder, why do they have food tonight and us not? And I remember vividly when apples were imported from America to the Philippines. And I would beg my mama, Ma, please, I want to taste this apple. But even a rotten apple, my parents could not afford to buy. But you know what? This is not a sad story because we have a good father in heaven. One day, my dad was an alcoholic pick up a track. For the young people, a track is a reading material about Jesus. <laughs> and in the track, it says to go to a crusade. And my dad went to a crusade. And in that crusade, he heard about Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believe in him will not perish, but have an everlasting life. And in that crusade, my dad received Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. When everybody else said, your dad's going to die an alcoholic, he's not going to change. But the word of God says, nothing is impossible with me. And for the very first time at that moment, my dad went home sober. And my mom was so surprised and asking him, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? Why are you sober tonight? My dad said, nothing is wrong with me. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and you need to come to church with me. So my dad brought us to church, and me and my sister, we would sit in Sunday school. And in Sunday school, the children there, they would sing about Jesus, that Jesus loves the little children, all the children in the world. Red, yellow, black, and white, all the children in his sight, that Jesus cares, that Jesus provides. But as a young kid, I could not comprehend that. Who is this Jesus? If he cares and if he provides, then why do we live this way? But you know what? We have a good, good father in heaven. At the age of seven, I was registered to the Compassion Project in our, in our church. And at the age of seven, somebody 
pick up a packet from Australia. And he started to sponsor me. And the very first thing in his letter, he said, Kiwi, you are pretty and Kiwi Jesus loves you. I have never thought of myself as beautiful or pretty when I was a kid. It is not in our culture to tell our kids, oh, you're so beautiful, you're so pretty. But later on, I begin to realize, Lord, is this how you see me? That I'm beautiful and wonderful in your sight. That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That I am a child of the one true God. At the age of seven, I begin to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as my Lord and Savior. I would go to the Compassion Project in our church. And they would teach us there how to wash our hands, give us medical and dental care. And most importantly, they would tell us about Jesus. My teacher there, she told me, Kiwi, yes, this is your situation. You are poor, but this is not your destiny. For in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Sometimes we stop in that verse because we all love the good plans of God for our lives. But the following verses, it says, Seek me, you will seek me, and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So I begin to open my Bible. I begin to grasp the promises of God in my life. I I begin to believe the words of God for my life. At the age of 13 or 14 in high school, I told my mama, Ma, I don't want to be poor anymore. I want to get out of this situation. I want to be able to go to college. I want to be able to take up something. But even my parents would double time, working 24-7. It is going to be impossible. But yet again, things that are impossible with men are possible with God. God, my mom said, let's pray because God will provide. God will provide. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And God did provide. This lady who is standing in front of you right now is a physical therapist working in a hospital in Dallas, Texas. Our God is such a good God. You know, after graduation from my profession, I need to take a very difficult exam. I see a lot of young kids here. Like you, I was scared of taking an exam. I was scared of failing. I was scared of the unknown. But every time I opened my Bible, God would tell me, Kiwi, is there anything too hard for me? And the answer is nothing, absolutely nothing is too hard for the Lord. All of my promises for you are yes and amen. Out of 1,700 students who took the exam, I landed 10th place. And all over the Philippines. <laughs> and because of that, they gave me a medal. And as I was receiving this medal, our government gave me a medal. As I was receiving this medal, I told the Lord, Lord, if only my sponsors were here, I'm going to give this medal to them. Because of them, this is a reality. You know, every year in our church, we have a prayer and fasting. And usually I don't join because I was hungry when I was a kid. 
And that year, I prayed that I'm going to meet my sponsors. January passed, February came, March came. A group of Australian sponsors came to the Philippines. And they asked me to give my testimony. And after that, they invited me to go to Australia. And I met my sponsors there. I think I have a picture for you. When I saw them, I ran to them <laughs> and hugged them. And over and over again, I told them, thank you so much. You didn't just change my life, but my family. And I know one day my community. You know, my mom became a leader of a small community church in the Philippines. And three years ago, we opened our own kids ministry in our own backyard. And we named it to God be the glory kids ministry to give him all the glory and honor and praises. Um, 13 years ago, I came to America to work as a physical therapist. And nine years ago, I got married to a wonderful man from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yes, I got myself a southern boy. <laughs> and you know, my husband's name is Terry Cook, and he's an executive chef in Dallas, Texas. Imagine I was hungry when I was a kid. Now I'm married to an executive chef. <laughs> I will never be hungry again. <laughs> and during the wedding, I invited my parents to come to the United States to witness the wedding. And after that, I took them... I think um, I have a picture for you. I took them to a place very special. I took them to an apple orchard in LJ, Georgia. <laughs> Remember the apple story? And my dad, he's picking up apples from the ground. <laughs> and I told them, no, dad, God has blessed us exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. That we're now able to pick up apples from the tree. God withheld that rotten apple years and years ago because he has something better for us. And in that moment, we're just celebrating about the goodness, the grace, the compassion, the faithfulness of God in our lives. And I know and I believe that God has blessed us not to just keep it to ourselves. God has blessed us to be a blessing to other people. You know the saying, hurt people hurt people, but blessed people bless people. Talking about uh, Dr. West Stafford, during our graduation from the program, he told us that do not be ashamed of your roots in poverty. You hold your head high. You may have been born in poverty, but poverty was not born in you. No matter how, God, how high God lets you climb, never forget to be grateful and never forget to reach back and bring others along with you. And one by one, as we do that, we will change the entire world. I am now a sponsor of four kids. Two from the Philippines, because I'm biased. <laughs> One from Haiti and a little boy named Juan from Bolivia. And six years ago, I went back home and saw my sponsored children. <laughs> and I told them, hang in there. Do not give up. And that's a word for you too. If you're undergoing, if you're um, experiencing very difficult situation, Hang in there. Do not give up. God has a plan for you. 
God has a plan to prosper you. If he can do it to me, he can do it to you. And one day, God will give you an avenue, a chance, a platform to tell the world, to tell an acquaintance, to tell uh, somebody from your family that we have a good good father in heaven to him be all the glory and honor and praises forever and ever thank you so much and god bless you all matthew 18 2 and calling to him a child he put him in the midst of them And said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me.